0: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would reveal the incredible, incredible importance of your Son to us this morning, revealed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, it is good to share with you this morning. Um, a very interesting passage before us today. Uh, and by the way, if any point, at any point along the way, you can butt in with questions, that's okay. Um, uh, or even afterwards. This passage seems at first glance to be just a recording of some facts. Uh, just a matter of fact, accounting of the joining of Matthias to the team. And you might even wonder what was the purpose of Matthias joining the disciples. Like, he was already with them, he was already part of the 120 strong, all their praying, so what's the big deal? To take a number from 11 back up to 12 is only an extra 8.3%. It's not that much, really. What's the point? But as we dig into this passage a bit deeper, we're going to find some very encouraging and interesting truths about the sovereignty of God and about the power of his word. Have you ever been let down? There's some nods, that's good, we had lots of nods in there and that was good. <laughs> well, it's not good, but it's true, Right? Have you ever been promised anything only to find out it didn't come through? My letdown is probably rather insignificant compared to some. But have you ever been coming up to a forecast rain event when the weatherman says it's going to rain? 100% chance of. And the cloud formations look good. You look into into the west of the sky and there's this terrific dark band of cloud out there and we're just ready for this downpour and everyone says it's going to rain. It has to. It has to rain. Everyone is so certain but as the clouds get closer they lift and they blow over with no rain at all. I have on more than one occasion. I've even been teased for having no faith. What we see in this passage this morning is that God is not like the weatherman. He always does what he says he will do. If you are trusting on a promise of God as written in the scriptures, it is 100% going to happen. With him we have 100% security. Let me start from the beginning. Uh, In this passage, it starts with the disciples returning from the Mount of Olives. And that was just after Jesus ascended into heaven, right? It was just just after he said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, uh, and all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This passage that we look at today, is at a narrow point in history between the promise of the Holy Spirit and when the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost. The disciples, including a group of about 120 men and women, had returned to Jerusalem and they were joined together constantly in prayer. During this time Peter would stand up amongst the group and his brothers The scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas. And Peter quotes two different psalms, Psalm 69 and Psalm 109, talking about the two different things about Judas that in the providence of God had to happen. Psalm 69 says, and I'll read just a couple of verses for context, May the table be set before them become a snare. May it become retribution and a trap. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent forever. Pour out your wrath of them. Let your fierce anger overtake them. May their place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in their tents. And that's the bit that Peter quotes. For they persecute those you wound and talk about the pain of those you hurt. Charge them with crime upon crime. Do not let them share in your salvation. May they be blotted out of the book of life and not be loosed with the righteous. Remember at the Last Supper, Jesus predicting that Judas Iscariot would betray him as he gave him the morsel of bread. As Judas took the morsel, Satan entered him, and immediately he went out to make a plan to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Later, when he saw that Jesus had been condemned to death, he changed his mind, Matthew says, and brought back the money. The chief priests wouldn't take the money, and so riddled with guilt, he threw the money down on the temple floor, and he went out, and he hanged himself. But the priests, buried in legalism, said, we can't take it because it's blood money. And so in an attempt to distance themselves from the crime, they bought a field as a burial place for strangers called the Field of Blood. Now this brutal and tragic story is the fulfilment of what was spoken about by the Holy Spirit some 1,000 years earlier. But it illustrates that the purposes of the Holy Spirit are unable to be changed. The plan and purposes of God are unchangeable. He is not like the weatherman. It is really clear in Scripture that God has already written... The entire history of mankind. And he is in in total control of it. And as we sit here today, he's rolling it out. When things go well, it's easy to see God's purposes and his plan, right? But the message today is when things go bad, when there's lying, when there's betrayal, when there's death, we need to know that God is invincible. Not even Judas or Satan himself can undermine the purposes of God. The other verse that Peter quotes, uh, Let another take his office, is from Psalm 109. Uh, a little bit around that, it says, Appoint a wicked man against him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him come forth guilty. Let his prayer be counted as sin. May his days be few. May another be take his office. Peter was standing there saying at the time that the disciples had to choose a replacement for Judas so that the scripture be fulfilled. And so they prayed saying God show us who you have already chosen. And they put the lots out and the lot fell to Matthias. It's an amazing acknowledgement of God's sovereign plan isn't it? In that prayer, I want us to see here that the Word of God is always fulfilled. When the Holy Spirit says something, it will be fulfilled even if it takes a thousand years. When God spoke, the earth had to be created. When the Holy Spirit speaks a prophecy, it has to be fulfilled. Now, I'm not talking about a word or prophecy that you or someone else might feel that you have received from the Holy Spirit. Paul says that those things need to be tested. They are viewed differently. But the word of God brought by the Spirit found in our Holy Scriptures has to be fulfilled. How can we say that? Life's full of variables, isn't it? Isn't the future open-ended? Aren't people free to live life however they want, so that even God has to adjust his plans? How can Peter say it had to be? Well, either Peter was wrong, or the purpose of the Holy Spirit expressed in Scripture is invincible, unconquerable, supreme, omnipotent, unshakable. I think the second one. Our God is an amazing God who created us and He gave us the ability to make decisions, to accept Him or to reject Him. He has given us a will, not exactly a free will, but that's a completely different sermon for another time, and the ability to choose, but over the top of all that, He is sovereign And he rules over all things. So that history unfolds exactly as he's planned. You know, he chose us who believe to be saved by Christ even before the foundation of the world. That's a pretty cool plan. Ephesians 1 tells us that. Now this plan is so detailed that it comes right down to Matthias. The one who replaced Jesus as one of the twelve. It comes right down to this obscure plan to purchase a field, the field of blood. It comes right down to the exact timing in history of Jesus' death. John 6.64 says that Jesus knew from the beginning those who who did and did not believe and who was going to betray him. Judas' betrayal was never a surprise to Jesus. He used that as part of his plan. David prophesied about it by the Holy Spirit a thousand years before. Knowing this, Jesus chose Judas to be one of the Twelve. He allowed him to participate in all the ministries of the Apostles and he worked his plan that had to happen. So that Romans 5.6 says that at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Not only is God's plan 100% invincible, but his timing is also 100% perfect. Can you imagine the trillions of possibilities and probabilities that have to line up for an event in history to roll out exactly like that? The betrayal, the whole lot. Even more comforting is when Jesus prayed in John 17, verse 12, he said, I have guarded them and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. This should give us great assurance and great confidence in the power of God. You know, when I go out in the paddock and muster cattle, sometimes I come back and I say... Well, I lost a couple. I got most of them, but I lost a couple. And when I went down the feedlot Friday before last, I realised I lost one there too. He was legs up. But Jesus said not one of them has been lost, except the one that was meant to, that the scripture be fulfilled. If you don't understand about the providence and the predestination of God, this story of Judas will really mess with your head. You see, God doesn't participate in evil, but he does use sin to serve his purpose. The most despicable act in the history of the world, namely the betrayal and murder of the Son of God, was part of God's saving plan. Acts 4.27-28 really rams this home when it says that the people gathered together against Jesus, it was by God's hand and his predestination that these things took place. So we come to the interesting question regarding Matthias. Why did the Holy Spirit want Judas to be replaced? Why couldn't the 11 apostles have just said, hey, we don't need a twelfth one because the Holy Spirit's coming soon. I think the reason is that there is this unbreakable link between the eyewitness account of Jesus' baptism, life, death, resurrection and ascension and the role of the Holy Spirit's work here on earth after he left. As Luke wrote the book of Acts, he wanted us to see that Judas' replacement must be an eyewitness of everything that Jesus said and did. Everything from the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove at his baptism through to all his earthly ministries, the healings, forgiving of sins, his authority to drive out demons. He had to have witnessed his crucifixion, his resurrection, and his ascension. Now, this is really important because central to our Christian faith is the belief. That Jesus Christ came in the flesh. I know Derek spelt this out tens upon tens of times. Fully God and fully man. And how important that is. So much so that 1 John 4 says, This is how you can recognise the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge that Jesus does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. The purpose of 12 eyewitnesses to the fact that he became, that he came in the flesh is very important. In just a short time they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. and they would speak in foreign languages. They would prophesy and they would tell all who were gathered there on the day of Pentecost from many nationalities all about the mighty works of God that they were eyewitnesses to. Not to be floating in some abstract spiritual phenomenon but grounded in the life, death and resurrection of Jesus as the Christ fully God and fully men. The Holy Spirit wanted the disciples to be grounded and centralized on the cross of Christ. The Apostle Paul echoes these sentiments in his letter to the Corinthians, saying, I determined to know nothing about you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He said this to a church who had a great desire to work in the power of the Spirit without The rock solid grounding in the historical life of Jesus. He said this because the Corinthian church was an unholy mess. Some churches these days read about Paul's scolding to the Corinthians and mimic the very same criticisms. Even Judas went around with the other disciples performing miracles, but he actually had no faith in Christ. Sally asked me, as I was preparing this, um, so how do we know we're we're not going to be like Judas? How do we know that we're not destined for destruction? Judas, I think, could be one of the many who, it says, will come in my name, crying, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And I will say, I never knew. Depart from me you workers of lawlessness. Matthew 7 tells us that. The simple answer is that we know that we're not like Judas if we believe in Jesus. The workers of lawlessness never had faith in Jesus because it says he never knew them. They didn't fall in and out of faith. They actually didn't have any. And as we look a little bit more deeply into Judas, we can see some telltale signs. At first, hard to find, because at the Last Supper, everyone's going, who's it going to be? Who is it? Who's going to betray you, Jesus? But he was the one that objected to Mary pouring expensive perfume over Jesus' feet. A year's worth of wages, actually. Saying that the money could have been that the that the perfume could have been sold and the money given to the poor, not because he cared about the poor, John states, but because he was a thief who helped himself to the money bag. Another telltale sign about Jesus was that he objected to the glorification by Mary. It shows in his heart that he valued money way more than Jesus. This will corrupt yourself. Interestingly, I think the the betrayal of Jesus could never have come from someone that would repent. There's probably lots of reasons for that. I don't think that the most despicable crime in history God would have allowed to be performed by a repentant believer. But because the scripture also had to come true, that Judas would not be listed with the righteous, Psalm 69, 28. If you ever wondered if if Judas could have repented and be in heaven, he could not. Just because he was sorry for his mistake, doesn't mean he trusted in Jesus for his forgiveness. There's a real lesson here. Judas is still held responsible for his lack of faith. Peter, on the other hand, betrayed Jesus three times. While still believing in him. And he turned back to him in repentance. To believe in Jesus is not just to know about his existence. Demons do that and they tremble. To believe in him is to know that because of our sin, we stand condemned, knowing that we have none of our own righteousness. No right standing before God. But unlike Judas, we can be listed among the righteous. Not because of any of our good deeds, but because we put our trust in Jesus. He takes our sinfulness and gives us his righteousness. He paid our debt. Judas turned his back on Jesus and tragically missed the cross. He missed the only act in history, the history of the world, that could take the punishment for sin. It's so tragic. But Jesus said in John 14, don't let your hearts be troubled. If you wonder, is it possible that I could possibly be like G- G- Judas. Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God and believe also in me. And Hebrews 7.25, it says, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Don't let your heart be troubled. We can have great Assurance that God will do what his word says he will do. If you trust in Jesus, you can have complete assurance that you're being saved.